The Right Optics by Silmo. Presented by Nick Koffer. Industry voices, insight and inspiration. From the leading trade show for eyewear and optics. Welcome to a very special edition of the Right Optics podcast brought to you by Silmo. And today we're looking ahead to the International Optician of the Year Awards, the winner of which will be announced in Paris at Silmo 2023 at the end of September. Joining me are four of the finalists for this year's awards, quite literally from the four corners of the globe. Uh, Vitor Martins is in Portugal. He's the founding CEO of Maxi Vizal. Fennel Walker in the USA, principal of Pure Optics and VP of Optometric Relations. Uh, Kerry Wilson, also in the USA, owner of Optigal Consulting and Angela Mitchell in New Zealand, a dispensing optician and business partner at Oriwa Optics. Uh, the fifth nominee, Jean-François Porte, who is uh, the CEO and owner of Edgar Opticians in France. He sadly had a, a long-standing professional commitment he couldn't miss this evening. Uh, I spoke to him earlier on today, actually, and we'll hear from him throughout this episode. Uh, to be fair, it's eight o'clock here in the UK, nine o'clock in Central Europe, early afternoon in America, 7am in New Zealand. Just checking you're awake, Angela. Still here. I think we've done pretty well to get us all uh, together at kind of the same time in roughly the same place. I think we've uh, we've done pretty well all, all told. Hello to you all. Really good to have you along. Hi, thank you for having Hello, us. Hello, Nick. It's great to be here. Hello, Nick. Good morning. Good morning. You are quite a mob. I should also, of course, say hello to Elaine Grisdale. Uh, Elaine is Director of Development at the International Opticians Association. They run the International Optician of the Year Award. And perhaps we can start with you, Elaine, and a brief summary of what this award is all about. Yes, so hi Nick, hi everybody. Um, it's a real joy to have you all on this podcast. It's the first time that we've done this in the history of the International Optician of the Year, so it's very exciting for me. Um, it's about rewarding excellence in optics, in dispensing, and looking at people who've moved the profession forward. And uh, I think this group of individuals who's with her, who are with us this evening, the finalists who have um, jumped through quite a few hoops to get to this stage. It's a very tight race and I think we have um, a very inspirational group of individuals who, you know, are, go are going to shine the light on, on dispensing optics. Well, anyone who listens to this series regularly knows that I'm, of course, not from your industry. I'm a journalist. I'm a broadcaster. So I look at these things from the outside. Now, I've looked at all of your application forms. I've read them very carefully. Elaine kindly shared them with me so I could I could get the background information. And, and you are all very, very impressive that the work you do within your industry and indeed outside of your industry. I think that th those are the two reasons uh, that you're here. I think we should start by hearing more about what you all do. Angela, let's start with you. Tell me about your business and give me at the same time a sense of why perhaps you feel you were nominated for this award. Well, thank you. I'm a partner in one of the largest independent practices in Auckland and um, my co-owner is a fellow dispensing optician. We trained together um, nearly 30 years ago and I've worked in the practice for probably about 12 to 15 years and, and other practices across um, Auckland um, prior to that as well. Uh, so we're one of only a handful of practices in New Zealand that are owned exclusively by dispensing opticians and we'd be the only one in New Zealand with um, four qualified and registered dispensing opticians at the front of our practice. Um, I'm also the president of the Association of Dispensing Opticians um, in New Zealand and I've been a member since I uh, qualified what nearly 30 years ago. And um, now's the time for me to give back. And um, I lead the association through um, the industry and political changes that we're uh, seeing in New Zealand. And I, um, I really enjoy 
both roles, sort of being at the coalface of optics and um, doing things for my customers, uh, giving them the best service and products and um, eyewear that I can, um, but also then um, mentoring my fellow dispensing opticians um, in New Zealand. That the, We're seeing a great resurgence in young dispensing opticians coming through, so it's really exciting uh, for the industry. I think that mentoring side is going to come out uh, throughout this podcast because it's clearly something that's important to all of you. Uh, Fennell, tell me about what you do. Yeah, so thank you very much, Nick. I'm Fernell Walker. I'm a master optician. I live uh, just outside Portland, Oregon, as I mentioned before. Uh, I'm an eye care educator at both optometry and opticianry colleges and universities, eye care conferences around the United States, Canada, and uh, you know North America. I'm also the VP of Optometric Relations at VSPI Affinity, where my role is to really focus on helping eye care practices realize their full potential through education, making sure that they have uh, the right staff components and educating them on all things ophthalmic optics and, and business as well. You know, opticianry really is an exciting profession, Nick. Uh, there's so many facets, uh, pun intended, if you're an optician, facets, of course, <laughs> on the things uh, that you can do. And so I'm just excited about being a part of it all, being able to expand our scope of care and what we do and, and really make a difference for our patients out there across the country. And that passion came across in your application and indeed in all of your applications. Uh, Carrie, uh, tell us about yourself. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. Um, it's really impressive to follow all these people, so I don't <laughs> know what all to say. So uh, I would say that my primary role is that of an educator. I own OptiGal Consulting. And what I do is I develop education that works for everyone. So as my role as a professor in, in the College of Southern Nevada, as an educator, I've written seven books. My last one just came out a couple of weeks ago. And what I do is I try to take complex topics that occur in opticianry and break them down to make it easily digestible for everyone. I'm a master optician. I'm a master contact lens fitter. I am on several board of directors throughout the, uh, through different organizations throughout the country. I am on the ANZ Standard Committee and on the International Standards Committee. So I take a lot of knowledge and I make it to where that everyone can find something from it, where somebody can learn what it is to be an optician and how to take that knowledge and apply it. So I studied textbook design and education, and I work to create tools that are readily usable for more people. You know you're in for a good podcast when a guest says, how do I follow those? And then says that they're a professor and has just published their seventh book. This is clearly uh, clearly an incredible crowd of, uh, of wonderful experts here. I think we'll hear from Vitor in a minute. But as I mentioned, I spoke to uh, Jean-Francois earlier on. And this is what he said about his business. Our group is made of 25 optical stores in France, 17 cigar optician stores present in the largest cities of France, and uh, eight general optic stores in the west of the country. There are uh, 210 employees for an annual turnover of uh, 38 million euros. With Edgard, we are specialists in the distribution of designer glasses, but also strong business specificities on children contact lenses, and sports equipments. And with general optic, it's the opposite with accessible glasses, but in both cases with a very high level of service. It was very interesting to develop these two models. With general optic, we benefit from the structure of a national brand to develop our network of independent stores. And with Edgar, we bring our independent soul to our franchise stores. 
Edgar Opticien is an entreprise à mission, Mission Company. It's a French system which controls our social and environmental responsibilities and actions. I am also involved in the human life of the profession. I am currently vice president of the Rassemblement des Opticiens de France, the first optician union in France. I am also uh, involved in professional training and optical schools in which I often speak and take part. And I tell you what, let's stay in Europe. Vitor, tell us all about your business. It's an honor to be here. I have been in optics too for 45 years. I started an, an, as an employee uh, in a multinational for five years. Then I went to work to, for a Portuguese optician of one year. And uh, then I created my own brand and my own business uh, 18 years ago. We are specialists from customers. Uh, we create an app for customers and we can we create a one brand of, of frames. And uh, for us, uh, Ocular Health, it's one of the most precision assets from human beings. Uh, having the responsibility to, of taking care of someone's uh, eye health, it's a, ch a challenge. Every day I open the doors from stores uh, and I, ch I search the best possible health care from each one. Uh, our clients are unique and they motivated every day to want more and better for their vision. I'm sorry for my English, but it's complicated for me to understand that. Uh, Vito, your English is perfect and we're all very grateful for you for making the effort to speak in English and, and you, you articulate really well. I think quite an interesting point, which I, I'll open out to everyone else, uh, because you started to explain there why you got into this particular industry, uh, what motivates you, what drives you, this notion of, of every day that you open your practice and uh, and you're going to help that one person. Uh, I wonder, uh, you know, Angela, Carrie, Fennell, whether you're motivation was similar uh, at the start. Perhaps start with Carrie. So I fell into the industry by accident. I, I was actually working in a carbon mill and I did not want to work in 130 degree temperatures anymore. So I had uh, answered an ad in the newspaper for Pearl Vision, which a lot of people in the United States in my time frame, because I started last century, um, actually got their start at Pearl. So I went to work for Pearl. I had applied and I was like, well, I kind of know what an optician does. I wear glasses. So let me see if I can do this. So I left the copper mail, went to work for Pearl, and I immediately fell in love. I remember working with an individual named John, and I started adjusting glasses right off the bat, loved it. And he goes, so how long have you been doing this? I'm like, oh, four hours. He's like, you you never worked in optical before? I said, nope, but it was just my calling. It, I, I was actually very blessed to fall into it when I did because I've got to see so many changes that have happened in the industry. So I fell into it by accident by answering it out in the paper because I didn't want to sweat anymore. You know, it's interesting because um, if I can briefly bring this to my own industry of broadcasting, we always say that um, when you're looking for someone to present, it's whether they've got what we call the 80-20. So the 80% is the bit you can't actually teach, the inherent understanding of what it takes. And the 20% is the bit that you can teach. Now, when you say that you immediately took to it like a duck to water and, and that colleague of yours immediately saw it, would you say that's actually quite quite important when looking for someone uh, to see whether they could be a good optician, where they've just got that, that innate 80, 85, 90% that you actually can't teach. 
So it depends on what you define by the 80-85%. If you're talking about personality-wise, yes, I do think that there is a personality type that goes very well with optical. And most would say, oh, it's outgoingness, it's it's this. And I, that's not really the case because we have so many different areas of opticianry that you can go into. I think it's somebody who has a desire to learn, somebody who has a desire to better themselves, someone who can understand that what they do actually has a very profound impact on the people that they work with and their patients. You would not believe how much of an impact an optician has on the community. A lot of times, you're the first time that you put a pair of glasses on a child. That's the first time that they see clearly. So I think that the 80 to 85% just has has to do with an innate desire to help others and to learn. That I don't think can be taught. But as for optics itself, I do believe that can be taught as long as a person has goes into it with a mindset of wanting to grow and develop and help others. You know, I uh, personally, am, I would describe myself as a little bit medical phobic and I don't like going anywhere really that, that potentially involves any unveiling of anything medical. And, and and when I go into an opticians in general, I want to feel reassured. I guess, Angela, it's about having a certain solidity, isn't it? And, and an ability to connect. Absolutely. And I think um, when... We have patients walking through our doors and um, we can greet them with a smile and we can um, reassure them that, uh, you know, we're there to make sure that uh, they have A, the best experience, um, B, that they go out um, not only being able to see well, but to, um, you know, feel confident uh, in their eyewear and in the whole experience that they had in a practice. I think that's um, certainly what motivates me to make sure that, um my team and myself uh, are giving our clients the best that we can. And of course, for you, Angela, you're, you're dealing with with quite diverse age groups. And this, this is something that you'll all have come across in your work. I know, I know that uh, the part of New Zealand that you're in is, let's say, quite retirement focused, quite an elderly population. And that requires its own skill set. And of course, if you get the influx, as often happens, of, of younger generations into these areas, that requires a different skill set. Absolutely. And I think um, it's making sure that we've got all areas of optics are uh, covered for our community. We've seen um, huge growth in our area in the past seven years or so. And, you know, to be able to offer low vision um, clinics for uh, our, our clients that uh, do struggle with macular degeneration or glaucoma, um, and we've got an optometrist that's very passionate about that. Um, but then also for our younger clients with myopia control, um, that's an area of, of huge um, research and, and growth. And, um, you know, it's becoming quite a, a focus for um, not only our practices, but a lot of practices um, globally, uh, which is exciting. And Angela, hearing you talk there about how working with young people is a large part of your work, that leads me to turn to Vitor, for whom I know, again, young people form a really important part of the work you do. We make uh, solid eye missions in the world. We have already uh, done uh, five uh, solid eye missions uh, to deliver glasses from kids that uh, needs in uh, three continents and uh, five um, countries. Uh, São Tomé, Peru, Cabo Verde, North Macedonia and Kenya. Fantastic. Yeah. We are different because we go there and uh, we deliver the glasses from the kids. It's me and my wife and my family normally that goes to the place. 
but uh, when I go, we have contacts there and uh, they do the consults and they uh, make the prescriptions and give it to us by by mail and uh, we go there and uh, deliver the glasses. It's uh, a very good uh, work and uh, I'm so proud about this, but we have too much uh, works to do. I think my my company makes the difference with the customers in the, in the, the stores and out, outside the stores, but with uh, this uh, works because the customers are uh, part of the mission. The customers do the your frames, and uh, with these frames, we make glasses and uh, give to the kids. You make a really important point there as to how you can all make a difference within the industry. And I think I'll actually ask you all of that in a moment. But for now, I've just got to come back to you because everyone has given these incredible reasons as to why they came to the industry. And, and, and the reasons are much more vast and varied than I think I, I realized. What brought you here? That's a great question. Uh, when I was a child, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. My mom uh, enrolled in Head Start uh, School in order to be a Head Start school teacher. My neighbor used to take care of me and her name was May. And I remember, um, you know, going for walks with my neighbor, May. She probably was a woman in her probably 70s or 80s at that time when I was, you know, five, six years old. And uh, on one of those walks, I pointed out to a beautiful rose, and I was surprised to hear May explain that she could not see any of the flowers. I said, well, can you see this one? Well, look how beautiful this one is. Look at this one. Isn't that color just beautiful and red? And, and she said, no. And I said, what if you hold it closer? And she said, no, I can't see a thing. And I said, wow, you can't see a thing. She said, no, I'm blind. That was the very first time I'd heard of what a blind person was. And I would visit her each and every day. I would return home in the evening. I continued to even narrate uh, you know, what I would see and you know, describing it to May, my friend at that time. And uh, what I never really understood you know, what blindness was until that moment. One day I came home and my mother had said, uh, you're not going to May's house today. And I said, why? She said, May's passed away. And uh, basically, I never really knew what caused May's blindness, but I knew what I wanted to become. And since then, my life has basically gone full circle. And I feel like I've honored May by going into eye care to try to help people like May around the country. And I indirectly do that. Uh, just briefly, I'll tell you, I was visiting a women's correctional facility where I was a guest speaker because uh, I'm a professor at uh, Pacific University College of Optometry. I'm an adjunct professor at several optometry schools. I teach at all the opticianry colleges and, you know, I'm the chairman of uh, of uh, Opticon Vision Expo Education. And, and one of the things I do to give back is I go to correctional facilities helping women that uh, basically want a second chance on life. And long story short, what I had learned is these women were making glasses for children just like me when I was a kid, you know, when I got my first pair of glasses as a Head Start kid, you know, as an underprivileged kid coming from very simple means. But they were using uh, my third textbook called Pure Optics, um, and uh, they use that there. So my life has pretty much come full circle. You know, here I am uh, educating women in, who, who were down on their luck, and they're using that tool that I created to give back to kids just like me. And nothing can be more exciting than that to really be a part of the healthcare team, make a difference in the lives of thousands of people across, uh, you know, North America. I wonder whether I'm taking this too far for now, but I'm fascinated by your story there. 
we all know how important good vision is. We all know how important it is if you need to correct your vision it is to feel good in what you're wearing. You're talking about um, helping women in correctional facilities in prisons who are right at the bottom of their confidence, right at the bottom of, 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 of the ladder. And I wonder whether you see as a result the importance and how you make a difference in that moment by actually being with them and saying, no, this is important. I do care we are going to make this better and whether also for them on a really simple level and forgive me this is the the, the layman talking here but whether on a really simple level helping people's sight actually can help them reintegrate yes absolutely nick and that's what i'm excited about because opticians do more than just uh you know pick out a frame or a lens for people and that concerns me because we do far more than that we give hope to the hopeless we give vision to people without vision. We give physical vision, but also uh, vision that they can have a future, that they can do something more important and that they can have value and their lives can have value. And I'm excited to be about, a, a, I mean, a part of that process because where else can you have a profession? And that's how I think of our industry is really a profession, not so much an industry. Uh, you know, we're uh, giving back so much and many of these women graduate each and every um, one of them graduate from the program. They come out of prison and they actually have renewed value in life. And they then give on the gift of vision and eye care. And uh, that's exciting. And, and, and my passion intersects, uh, you know, with giving back and being able to be a part of uh, their life, you know, forever. And it's that age-old thing, isn't it, of when you help one person, you you, you help humanity. I know that's quite a, a grand phrase, but of course, you help one person, she leaves, um, it improves her family, it may involve another family not being burgled, it may involve someone not being attacked, and, and, and the impact that, that can have goes well beyond that one individual in front of you. Absolutely, because so many people, uh, especially in this day and age, come from simple means. I myself grew up as a Head Start kid under, I mean, my parents, my, my mother, I was raised just by my mother. She was on welfare and a uh, single mother supporting four people. And I wanted to do something with my life. And I see a little bit of myself in these women. I, I see that these are women who basically want to change their life and they want to be better people, give back to society. And I feel excellent and excited that I'm making a difference because they go out and they're giving vision back to thousands and thousands of people every year. And they're using a book that I created, Pure Optics, to learn how to do that. And nothing could be more rewarding just seeing, uh, you know, the lives and the people that uh, we change. Elaine. Yeah, um, thanks, Nick. I just wanted to come in there because it's a really interesting uh, topic and conversation. I recently um, gave a, a presentation in, in Prague. Um, the Silmo Academy had a an event in Prague and it was about bolstering the confidence of opticians because a thing I hear a lot as I travel around the world is opticians saying I'm only an optician and that really grates with me because as you've heard from all our guests this evening um, we do so much more than just hand over a pair of spectacles. That pair of spectacles can change a person's life. They can change um, at any age. Um, they become more performant. They become more confident. Um, you know, they can they can excel at school where maybe they've been slipping back in 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 the past. 
people who are feeling threatened when they're in their 40s and 50s because they don't feel that they're cutting it like the younger people as soon as we give them a pair of spectacles then suddenly they've got you know this new confidence in in their abilities um i just think we we underestimate ourselves and we underestimate the effect that we have on our patients and something else we underestimate is that we are the beating heart of the optical sector without the job we do the optical sector would flounder so we are the nuts and bolts in the middle of all the manufacturers and all the clinicians. We are in the middle of this yeah. and we are holding everything together and we're giving a better life to people at the end of the day. And I, I just hope that this, this assembly of excellence that we have as finalists of the International Optician of the Year can in some way inspire colleagues out there to auto-reflect on just how amazing our profession is. I've always said that opticianry is very different in that that's our title, but it's actually a bunch of smaller roles rolled into one big title. If you think about everything an optician does, we're fashionistas, we're craftsmen, we're detectives because we have to figure out what works, what doesn't work. We're counselors, we're friends, we're leaders, we're community supporters. There's so many things that roll up underneath the role and the title of optician that greatly impacts our community and our profession and our patients. So I think that optician is a big title with lots of little things underneath it. When I talk about uh, change lives, uh, it's emotional for me because um, when you go in mission uh, in Peru or Cap Verde or North Macedonia or Kenya, um, we go and before we make contact, they are kids that have too much difficulties and they uh, arrange uh, institutions to help us. Uh, we change not change lives without the glasses, but change life with the education, with food, with another things that they they need. You, you understand? Yeah. It's not only goes to take uh, the glasses and uh, goes out and uh, more nothing to do. No, we have uh, work that we work uh, all days uh, in these people. We have one hundred and fifty more or less. Uh, kids that that they help but that they help with without more much more things um it's it's this is um our uh profession it's um very special uh, profession uh, because uh, they are friends they are uh, from the customers they are friends they are psychologues uh, they are all of the the professionals to help there uh, it's it's very very good very good can, can we look at this this question as well and i hear what you're saying vito can we look at this question that elaine uh, led into there about in some ways opticians being undervalued or or dare i say taken for granted and and angela look you run an independent optician uh, and i'm not going to pile on here with big high street opticians but i'm going to make an observation which which may or may not be right 
I happen to use an independent optician. Uh, he's uh, he's brilliant. Uh, Jez at Eyes on St. Albans, uh, he's, he's great. In fact, I've just got into very focals and they've changed my world. So you can all know that that it can be very exciting for a 50-year-old me to be able to read with my glasses on. Um, but I wonder whether there is a, there has become an element of sort of the optical version of fast fashion. So when you have um, high street opticians selling glasses very, very cheaply and indeed online selling glasses and lenses, I mean, I sometimes see, you know, two pairs for, for £20. I wonder, you know, Angela, in your case as an independent, whether you think part of that lack of validation or valorization of opticians comes from consumers like me, perhaps viewing glasses and opticians as a bit of a fast fashion thing in the same way as we'd view, you know, the high street uh, fashion shops, I won't name them, but who 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 stock it high and sell it cheap? Uh, I think to a, a certain extent, um, in New Zealand, uh, we had, uh, you know, independents were... Uh, historically um, quite protected until we had the introduction um, probably about 15, 20 years ago, the start of the chains coming into our uh, country. And um, that did cause a a huge change within the the market and the industry and um, a bit of an upheaval. Uh, Some independents panicked and thought, what do I have to do? Do I have to um, lower my services? Do I have to lower my costs? Um, to to um, get people to walk through my doors to compete against that. Um, and a lot of independents did struggle to find their niche. And um, and I think when I reflect on, on the changes that happened over that period of time, I can see that what they did do was to expand the market and to bring um, more people into, you know, facing up to their eye care and to the fact that they need to have regular eye tests and things like that. So they made eye care more accessible. But the practices that focused or the dispensers that focused on service and quality products um, have thrived. So I think overall uh, that the changes that that have happened to, to make eyewear more accessible has been great. So, yeah. I think also, look, I, I know a lot of people who, as you hint there, wouldn't actually wear glasses if it wasn't for, for the cheaper options available uh, in the high street. And, uh, and there, there, is, there is a flip side, of course. I know a number of chains, for example, pay uh, for opticians to, to, to do their qualifications and, uh, and to come through. Absolutely. So, we see that a lot in New Zealand. Yeah, so mm. so there is absolutely room for everyone. I, I I just wonder how you all think, and Angela, I'll come back to you or, or Carrie or any of you, how you think we can improve that notion of opticians being uh, validated. I mean, anyone listening to this podcast will validate opticians, but but how can we improve that to people like me? Yeah, so for me, this is Fernell. I'll, I'll I'll just briefly say the way we can stop the commoditization of eyewear, as I like to think of it, is through education by actually getting involved, by actually uh, doing, expanding the scope of what opticianry actually does. It's taking more of the healthcare approach. It's getting more involved in uh, refractometry and expanding the scope of not just delivering eyewear, but also eye care and being a valued member of the healthcare team. And I think that that's going to be the way that opticianry is going to thrive, not just survive, but actually thrive well into the future by changing the way people see opticians. I think another thing that needs to happen is unification at a global level so that the actual definition of what an optician is is unified on a global level so we all uh, come to terms with what is an optician? Because if you were to actually do a poll, Nick, and you were to ask uh, people, what is an optician? What does an optician do? I would be surprised if many people would accurately answer the question. So lastly, 
Just in summary, we need a unified definition of opticianry. We need to expand the scope of opticianry to include uh, being a more valued member of the healthcare team. We need to stop the commoditization of eyewear, and you do that by showing the true value of what we're doing by solving problems and actually becoming more of the expert in it and requiring more, not only educating the general public, but educating within our profession itself. I have one, uh, I think we have to protect the, pro the professional. For, for example, in Portugal, uh, if you want to, to buy an um, optician, you can, we can buy. You really don't have qualification, but you buy one. If you have money, you, you buy one. In Portugal, you don't have protection. The opticians don't have protection. For me, it's, it's uh, very bad because without qualification, the, the people that can that stays in the optic don't do the best service. I think it's very bad. Yeah. If you protect the sector, I think these associations are Portuguese association and uh, other, the others are uh, are very important to to make this uh, to protect our professional. I think it's it's a, a long way, but uh, I think in in, uh, in my country we have much more uh, optic uh, uh, independent optics that uh, do qualified uh, service and sell qualified lens. We have an, another uh, another new in Portugal. We we have a car uh, from the lens, and uh, if you buy one lens, we leave the card, and you can go to an app. And you go to internet and search, and uh, if you 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 certificate that you sell this land, it's good. Uh, uh, it's good. It's uh, new uh, in Portugal, and these are steps by steps that uh, we credibility the the optic. Nick, I I think that your question actually, along with what Elaine said, actually touched on three different parts. Yep. When you asked how. Can we support opticianry and explain it to you, which would be the general public? One would be, how would we elevate the profession as a whole, which I think Fresnel answered wonderfully. Fresnel and I work on a lot of different projects together, so we have a lot of the, the same mindset <laughs> in elevating the profession. And then we had Elaine talk about how opticians are actually feeling about themselves. So I, I kind of want to touch on what Elaine said about opticians feeling like they're just opticians. I think the industry as a whole is good at supporting each other one-on-one -on -one and locally, especially with social media. I think social media has really helped with that sense of camaraderie among opticians. I, I think where we need more support amongst ourselves is on like a, a, a national level and also on a global level, which is where... I think the IOA helps. I think that we need to have more mentorship for our opticians that are coming up. Uh, so I, I read a story the other day about a parachute packer, and I want to be a parachute packer. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. There was a gentleman who had jumped out of a plane in Vietnam and lived. And he had went to the VFW, which is the Veterans of Foreign Wars here, and he had met this gentleman and he said, I know you, you got shot down and you lived. And he said, yeah, how, how did you, how do you know my store? And he goes, oh, I was the one who packed your parachute. I've been packing your parachute for two years before you had to use it. Hmm. I'm glad to see that it worked. And the soldier went home and he, he was thinking about it. And he goes, you know, all my life, 
I've had people supporting me and I didn't know it. I had this guy who was packing my parachute and he was supporting me all this time and I never paid attention to him. I had no idea that this guy was out there supporting me. I think we need to all become a series of of parachute packers. We need to be supporting our fellow opticians both vocally and silently and lifting them up and giving them the support that they need through different ways. Mentorship, being involved in your international, national, and local societies, talking on podcasts like this, educating, being available, having people reach out to you. I think that that is how we help to get the opticians feel better about themselves is by packing their parachute. It's a wonderful analogy. And I, I wonder, I'm going to choose a really bad turn of phrase here, so forgive me, but I wonder whether the opticians might end up having the last laugh here because we're talking about validation and uh, and being seen positively. And by the last laugh, I mean, there's a lot of talk about opticians ultimately becoming a real health hub uh, that you go to that shop to, you know, look at your hearing, for example, and other elements of uh, of your health. And I wonder whether all of you feel that the future actually um, could be much more vast even than it currently is. I believe it can be. And I think that's the direction uh, that we definitely need to go. And we're starting to see that at least in the U.S. and even in parts of Canada, um, you know, where I uh, frequently visit and, and uh, lecture and the um, we're starting to see the the alignment and the holistic uh, healthcare approach where it takes a team of of healthcare providers in order to teach to uh, treat the patient holistically because we know a lot of these diagnoses are related whether it be and uh, one great example of this is binocular vision dysfunction which I'm a big fan of uh, vision therapy because of this. Binocular dis, uh, vision dysfunction is a condition that affects not only uh, the emotional, psychological, visual, but balance and the vestibular ocular reflex and how a person moves, how they interact, uh, down to how they interact with people and, and much, much more. So I agree with you, Nick, that what we're going to start to see is the need for uh, holistic healthcare. you know, where where uh, the different uh, branches of healthcare come together to treat the patient holistically. And of course, this leads on to, to the wider question uh, about the future of the industry. And, uh, and I actually mentioned it earlier on when I was chatting to Jean-Francois and I said, are you worried about the future of the optical industry, your future as an optician? I, you, know, you can look at things like artificial intelligence and, uh, and the onset of the internet or the, the, the very uh, well-set onset of the internet. And, and this is what he had to say. No, Nick, I'm not particularly worried about uh, artificial intelligence. We will have to adapt as we have adapted to social networks or e-commerce. I remain positive and tell myself that there will be good things to come for our profession. I am more worried about the polarization of the market, of the large group in our sector, which are growing a lot. I am particularly concerned about our partners of today who would become our competitors of tomorrow. I also believe that our profession will benefit from a better relationship between manufacturers and retailers so that everyone moves in the same direction. So Jean-Francois picking up many of the themes we've already had in this podcast uh, about uh, people working together. He mentioned their suppliers working uh, with opticians. He said he wasn't too worried uh, about the future and, and facing technology that you are facing. Angela, do you identify with what he says there? Uh, yeah, I do. Um I must say, 
I'm probably not overly worried. Um, I think there's always a place for personal service and expertise. And if we can overcome uh, those uh, barriers or, or things that we're facing um, as opticians, um, and, and I'm, I'm certainly heartened to hear that um, in New Zealand that you know we're facing those things about how can we expand our scope of practice, how can we uh, protect and grow um, opticians in our country. Uh, there's only 200 or so registered dispensing opticians in New Zealand, so um, we're, we're essentially a small part of our industry, but uh, we are an essential part. Um, so to hear that, that the struggles that we're facing are also faced on a global scale, I think if we can overcome those sorts of barriers um, and, and work together, that, um, yeah, I think our expertise will always be valued. I agree. So it's kind of like tailors, right? Tailoring, being a tailor, being a seamstress used to be a huge industry. And everybody went and got their clothes made or they made them at home. When retailers started coming in and mass producing, those professions changed, but they didn't go away. You still can use a very good tailor. You can still use a very good seamstress. It may not be for everyone that is at the higher level, but you have all levels of people who are still working in the clothing industry and sewing. I think opticianry is not going to go away. I don't worry about the future. I do think opticianry will change and become more specialized and good opticians will be in more demand, just like a good tailor, clothing designer, seamstress is in demand because of the value that they bring to their skill set. Do any of you see a day where I will take my smartphone and I will do an eye test on my smartphone and I will create my frames on my smartphone and it will be delivered via drone an hour later to my front door? Maybe, but you'll go to an optician to get it fixed. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. Carrie says that. I, 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 uh, but I think that uh, the answer is no. And I believe the reason for that is because uh, the uh, value of the optician will start to actually change. He, he, here in the United States, at least, we have about uh, 34,000 opticians across the country, of which 28,000 are certified. And I agree with what Vitor said earlier. He said that we must protect the profession. He's 100% right. And, and uh, the way to do that is if we can get licensure and get a common definition, we can protect uh, you know, what that uh, uh, looks forward to. The other thing, lastly, I'll say is that there are some lenses, lens designs, frame designs that uh, cannot be commoditized, right? And if we start leaning into uh, those materials that are uh, more luxury type and not so much luxury type, but uh, let's say better lens designs and subtrends, yes, and quality and so forth, you can't commoditize those things and you can't commoditize a service because I believe people are willing to pay more money for good service, yes, and a good quality. I think the digital uh, digital makes uh, more information and transparency for our sector. It's good for us. We have to concentrate with this because if you work with transparency and with quality, we are better and uh, and we, we, we goes health to the our customers uh, if you do, if you uh, works without just transparency it's not good 
because then this is not good from the the sector. I think the digital is the future and uh, make the people to do more information. It's good yeah. for us. And this makes complete sense, Vitor. Can I just come back to a, a point actually related to this that, that you made, Angela, because you said that uh, you said more and more people are, are coming into the industry now. The reason my ears pricked up is when I spoke to Jean-Francois earlier on, and I, I think I said to him, you know, um, what has changed the most since you came into the industry? Uh, he said this. What has changed the most is the relationship and changes recruitment to work with the young generations. I don't see this negatively. But it's particularly challenging and demand big adaptation by the company and to have good answers to the young opticians. So he was basically saying that they're finding it harder than ever to recruit young opticians. Are you finding that, Angela, in your practice? Um, I think it's getting awareness out that optician, uh, being a dispensing optician is a valid career, is um, a, a struggle that perhaps we have in our marketplace is um, practice owners putting value on their dispensing opticians, giving them um, uh, a, a wage that reflects the value that they bring to the practice and and um, what they contribute. So I think uh, to, to get young people into our industry, um, it's about awareness that it is a career that you can uh, make, that it has progression, that there is a lot of uh, uh, interesting and varied things that you can do as a dispensing optician. Um, I think it's also making sure that uh, in New Zealand we are um, regulated. We're under the um, Health Practitioners Act, um, so we do have to meet standards uh, to retain our, our qualification. But it's making sure that we uh, value that and that we make sure that we can um, keep being um, part of a, a regulated um, and, and making sure that our optometry colleagues value what we bring to the industry as well. Um, so that's probably the challenges that we face down here. Fennell and Carrie, obviously, you're you're a little bit more on the on the academic side, the consulting side. Are you seeing this phenomenon of a difficulty in bringing people into the industry? Absolutely. And the reason I think that is, Nick, is, and I would agree with, um, you know, some of the others, is because there's other options. And I think uh, the problem is related to awareness. They're not aware of our profession. And that is the uh, education that we need to give to uh, folks out there. They're not aware that opticianry exists or they don't understand how vast opticianry is. So what I'm seeing from my vantage point is uh, a lot of folks are interested in other things. They're interested in more of the, technol uh, the technological side. And that's where we can educate them to say, hey, you could still be an optician and work in software such as lens design or CAD, which is computer um, you know, automation, uh, automated drawing for lens design. And there's other things you can do. It's not just about picking out a frame and a lens. Opticians do so many things and there's so many, I mean, pardon the word sexy, but there's, <laughs> there's so many sexy things that opticians can do beyond just dispensing eyewear. There's lens design, there's lab fabrication, there's education, there's management, there's the business aspect of it. And I think we could do a better job. But yes, it is a problem right now um, that we need to show our value. And it's kind of a circular 
argument or a circular problem, right? Do you know, I was, I was, I was sat at a, at a dinner party at the weekend and I was wearing my, I wear a pair of Blake Kuwahara frames, which I, which I love. Ooh. And, <laughs> and, and, um, and I found myself unwittingly talking about these frames and talking about how the fact that, you know, they've, they've got the perspex exterior <laughs> and they've got the framing and they're, they're, they're two frames yes. in one. And I looked around the table and everyone was glazed over. I, I may, no, no, no pun intended. I may as well have been talking about uh, 1626 London and the impact of socioeconomic <laughs> policy. And, and I realized that perhaps people don't find glasses sexy. Right. And that's sad because glasses are sexy. Lenses are sexy. Yeah. And I think that if we stop the commoditization of eyewear and we really show it and we take the angle of look at how vast our profession is, more people would get excited about it if they knew exactly what's possible and um, exactly what they can be a part of. I Elaine, I know that industry bodies have a, a role to play as well. I think, am I right in saying with your Association of British Dispensing Opticians hat on, don't, don't you have a, a programme for young opticians? Uh, we, we, well, what we do have is an award-winning scheme, which is called Careers in Optics. And it's something that we've developed and put out there mentioning most of the things that Fennell's just said, actually, all the different uh, avenues that you can explore once you have an optician's qualification. Yes. And um, I think it's really important. And people then can direct students to this website, but also use um, the information that's on there to actually go into schools and colleges and start to talk to people when they're uh, thinking about which career they want to, to follow. So, uh, yeah, I think we all have a role to play. We have to, we ha we have to recruit more people into our profession. Yes, um, absolutely. I think it's really important because people don't know. I, I, I think when I was young, um, it was it was normal to go for regular sight tests, but I don't think children do that as much these days. So I think the relationship with um, the optician is something that isn't built as much these days. I don't think for children, um, certainly in the UK. Um, even though, you know, the, the eye examination is free, um, we don't see people coming through. We don't see school screening anymore because of um, funding cuts. So um, whereas people might think their children are having a screening at school, that's not always the case. So I, I think, um, you know, th this relationship, which I had when I was young, um, you know, I, 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 wore spectacles and I had to wear contact lenses because I wanted to be on the hockey team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you, don't, you don't really have that anymore. And there's an awful lot of children slipping through the net. Um, but we have a, a massive opportunity now with things like myopia management. I don't know who mentioned my, I think it was Angela mentioned myopia management before, um, you know, to, to give education to parents and to, um, to, to you know, drive people um, into looking after the, the the welfare of their children's children's sight, and then we can create those relationships, um, you know, throughout throughout life. Um, I just want to go back as well, actually, to something that um, I think Fennell mentioned, which was holistic healthcare. Yeah, I yes. think that ties in as well with um, there's a trend I think now as people um, getting more aware of their visual well-being. I think visual well-being is quite a strong concept. Uh, as well and, and we have a massive role to play in that and something else that was said was um, we need a common definition of what an optician is I think 
Um, we have to raise standards in education as well. 100%. I think the standards in education around the world are very disparate. Then that you know, there's no unified standard of education, and I think uh, the IOA eventually will 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 have a role to play um, in that as well. So um, I think it's been it's it's a fascinating conversation we're having tonight, Nick. It's brilliant. I've I've been making so many notes while while the speakers have been speaking. It's been uh, it's been it's it's great. I agree that the only way that the industry will thrive and grow is that if we do have a minimum education requirement that is consistent. And that's where us getting out there will really help with that, especially this group here. Cause people don't know what an optician is. I have been called an optometrist, I have been called an obstetrician, I have been <laughs> called a nurse. I have been called so many terms because they don't know what an optician is. So by having a standard minimum education requirement, it would make it easier for us to go into high schools, to go into colleges and say, hey, this is what an optician is. This is a viable career path. This is an admirable profession. These are the subsects within this profession that somebody can specialize in and by getting the counselors and the teenagers and the colleges interested, because we have that education requirement, I think the field could explode in the amount of people that we have joining. The real sense I get listening to you all is is what a vast field this is. And also, it's only going to get more vast. Is the question uh, of CPD, of continuing professional development, an important one? Is it something that lies at the heart of what you do? Is there more that can be done to keep up. That's my thing. <laughs> I love professional development. That's what I strive for is to help others develop themselves professionally, particularly after they've already joined the field. The problem is, is that a lot of times they don't, a lot of times the opticians are often getting some of the professional development as just as a means to an end, just to get credit hours instead of actually learning from it. So my advice would be two set would be like one for optician providers and also for the, I mean, career development providers, and then also those taking the courses. To the providers, make interesting content, make stuff that's relevant, make topics that are free from bias, and that can actually elevate the knowledge of those listening. To those who are taking the courses, pick something that piques your interest. Invest in yourself. Don't just rely on courses that are free. Take the time to prepare and pay attention. And then ask questions when you're in the class to engage with somebody who is teaching you. So this way, whatever you're thinking, somebody else is probably thinking of it too. And it may be something that the instructor has missed. And it could be an aha moment for everybody in the room. Yeah. So please engage with somebody who is giving you the course. Yeah. And Angela, I know that you you do CPD uh, classes as we well with, with, with your national association. Uh, does your view differ in any way to Carrie's? And, and as a supplementary question, is there a hot topic? Is there a hot something? I, I almost used Fennell's term there, a sexy something, but I just didn't feel I could carry it off as well as Fennell did. Uh, but in, in, in the CPD uh, courses that you do, is there something that is particularly vital at the moment? 
Uh, well, I'll answer your first bit first. Um, that uh, yes, in New Zealand we do have to uh, complete continuing professional development to be maintain our um, registration, and uh, we're really passionate about that um, in New Zealand. We have a conference uh, every year where we present most of our um, CPD. So I'd love to tap some of our uh, uh, my friends here to come down to New Zealand to present to us, so I'll have a chat with you. <laughs> um, but um, we are very passionate about it because we have seen what's happened um, to our uh, friends across the Tasman in Australia where uh, their dispensing opticians were deregulated a number of years ago. And as a result of that, there's been sort of a bit of a downward spiral in the um, standards, if you like, um, in Australia. Um, the level of education in Australia, and it is just um, in the process of being built up again um, to the hopes that one day they might um, attain regulation again. But there's this big fear in New Zealand that if we lose our um, regulatory um, or our regulation, that um, you know standards will drop. So, so yes, we are very passionate about yeah. CPD, and and I think it sets us apart from the optical assistants in a practice. You know, we're the ones that are, are learning um, about myopia control, are learning about low vision and, and learning about how we deal with the different um, cultures and, and ethnicities that come into our practice because, um, you know, the, the, the cultural element of our continuing professional development or the ethical standards that we are supposed to adhere to or that we, we do adhere to, um, that's all part of our learning. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is a, an area that we should definitely be um, globally working on and working together. The things that are happening over in America or are happening in Europe are just as relevant to what um, I need to learn in New Zealand or what my colleagues in Australia need to learn as well. So I think there could be more global awareness in um, continuing education between um, dispensing opticians. But probably um, from a hot topic point of view, yep. um, I think myopia control is something that is um, industry-wide for optometry, for dispensing, for manufacturing with all the new lenses that are being researched and developed around um, myopia control and contact lenses. Um, that's a really hot topic. So you're all coming to Silmo. Uh, I will see you all there because I'll be there to record a, a number of podcasts on site as I did last year. I had a, a huge amount of fun meeting loads of people from the industry, just, just really discovering what an incredible industry the optical industry is. 29th uh, of September to the 2nd of October. More information at silmoparis.com and, and just do a search for Silmo Paris uh, across all of the social media. Uh, you are all finalists in the International Optician of the Year Award. Um, let's hear from Grant Hannaford. He won last year. Winning the International Optician of the Year Award last year was certainly unexpected. At the time, we were in the United Kingdom for work, so it made sense for us to travel to Paris for Silmo. We weren't really expecting me to win, especially given the strength of the field. The other candidates had incredibly strong cases for them to win, so it really came out of the blue. The last 12 months have been tremendously satisfying professionally. I've been privileged to be able to engage in Silmo Singapore and now also with Silmo Paris professionally, and I'm really looking forward to continuing to contribute to the industry globally. We have a strong vision for the professional development of our industry, not just as a branch of the health industry, but also as a means for scientific endeavour to provide crossover of the results of research from the scientific developmental field to real tangible patient applications. I think that winning the award has allowed me to interact with a group of peers that I may not otherwise have met or perhaps not met as soon. 
It feels like we're on the cusp of some great next surge in scientific developments in the ophthalmic optics field. I'm tremendously excited about what we'll see in the next decade and onwards. This award is particularly important because it fosters a spirit of excellence amongst practitioners in a field where all too often people can begin to feel a bit like their careers or roles have plateaued. I've seen colleagues that have struggled with motivation as they feel like the job has become a little bit procedural rather than something that gives them drive and definition in their lives. Seeing the stories of the other candidates shows the wide range of pathways that are available in our industry, so there needn't be a sense or a feeling of limitation. As you can see that people have used their roles and knowledge for tremendous projects that are contributing to society as a whole. Personally, though, even the process of applying was meaningful. As I was given an opportunity to look back at my career thus far and get a feel for what I've actually done. I think all of us tend to downplay what we've achieved thus far in life as normal or unremarkable, but having to lay everything down like that on paper is certainly an interesting process for us to undertake as a means of self-assessment, so I can recommend it to everyone. There's Grant Hannaford, who who won the International Optician of the Year Award last year. I was at the ceremony. He was absolutely overwhelmed when he was announced as the winner. Uh, for all four of you, what has it meant to be nominated to this point as a finalist in these awards? And, and what might it mean to win in, in a global sense? Because we've talked a lot about the importance of your profession and how each and every one of you makes a difference to your profession. And it's really come across throughout this whole episode. So so what's it meant so far and what, what could it mean to, to be crowned International Optician of the Year? Let's, let's, start, with, uh, let's start with Vito. Oh, for me, it's an honour. I'm very proud of this, uh, this nominated, but um, I think it's good because um, I think in my country we do uh, work different work, principally uh, the independent optics. We work the one way different, and uh, I think uh, now uh, with this nomination we are more more uh, recognition. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the, the the other optics inspired with us to do a work, a different work. You understand? Yes. Uh, I think we have a problem in Portugal. We we talk with it, with uh, with this. Uh, we have a very old optics. We we don't have young people that uh, who works in the in the industry, and um, the old optics they works the same the same way at uh, 14 years old hmm. understand and you have to to change you have to do another things to to uh, work with uh, different forms and uh, we have uh, now in uh, portugal uh, the old uh, optics don't uh, want to work the, to the customers came to the, uh, the store yeah. but now it's different you have to go to uh, to the customers to do publicity to go with their social media we have to do a different work to make uh, customers uh, but we have to do with quality with the uh, work different with the uh, credibility messages with the uh, protective of industry of protected of the sector I think that in Portugal we we work with this kind of uh, career with yep. this kind of uh, way and uh, I think there it's good with uh, this uh, nominated. It's good because uh, we have more credibility and uh, the old optics. I think that we make change, and uh, we change a little bit of this mini market that is in Portugal. 
I suspect that you've almost answered for everyone, actually, because you've really articulated perfectly um, uh, what this means and what this could mean. Uh, Carrie, let's come to you. So I've actually really enjoyed this process because uh, we get to learn how universal opticianity is, regardless of where you're at. All of the same hopes, all of the same drawbacks, everything that's going on here is going on globally. Yeah. So I've enjoyed getting everybody else's perspective. I'm also getting to know some of the people on a more personal level. Uh, Victor and I have talked a couple of times. He's a funny guy. I, I enjoy talking to him. <laughs> uh, so I, I enjoy the camaraderie and how we're actually all just, and I hate to use the term one big happy family, but because it sounds so cliche, right? But it actually is one big happy family. Everybody in optical and opticianry are facing the same challenges and drawbacks and growths. And I really think that that's wonderful. What it would mean for me, I, I, I really haven't really thought so far as to actually winning it because of all the great people that are nominated. I hate to get my hopes up and then have them dash. Mm. So I haven't really thought about it. But if I were, what it would mean for me in the future if I were to win is that I would hope that I would be an ambassador for all opticians and work toward developing and growing the industry as a whole. And I would hope that would make everybody proud. Yeah. I would hope that I would be the parachute packer for everybody globally. <laughs> it wouldn't be my hope. You're all ambassadors now, uh, just by by dint of being a finalist. Uh, Fennell. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm really excited and humbled as well as honored to even be considered for this great award on a global level. I believe this is an important award. And the biggest thing, you know, if I were to uh, win this award, I think just bringing awareness. There's, you know, as I mentioned before, there's over 34,000 opticians across the United States and tens of thousands across Europe and hundreds. And, you know, I don't know the number down in New Zealand and so forth. And just bringing everyone together for the same causes and put it in and helping to put a plan together um, for the future. And I think we need to start to think about that and where do we see opticianry going and how do we, uh, make those types of things happen and, and, uh, what can we do to make a difference? And I want to help make that difference, you know, uh, as, as, as sitting on the American board of opticianry board of directors, I can help, uh, solidify that and really bring folks together across the globe, bringing the message of opticianry, and, and optics has a rich history and we opticians bring value. Yeah. And I, I hope we can just help promote the profession um, and just expand our scope of care. Thank you. Well, follow all of them, Angela, as a sun rises in New Zealand <laughs> and you'll be wanting your breakfast very soon. Uh, yes. What do you make of, uh, of being a finalist? Well, certainly I was particularly humbled um, to find out that I was a finalist. Um, and I see it as more... Um, representing some of the, the great dispensing opticians that we have in New Zealand. Um, we are a, a small number of people, but we often punch well above our weight. And um, there's a number of great dispensing optician colleagues that I know because there's only a few hundred of us. Um, we are making a difference in our communities um, each day um, across the country. But what I've been really heartened to hear today is... Um, that we are not alone. Often down here, we feel very far away from everybody else and we feel that our struggles are our struggles alone. Um, but much like global inflation, um, 
the struggles that we have are global. And um, so I'm certainly heartened to hear that um, there's a, a great network of um, fantastic people around the world who that we can uh, tap into and work together um, to to make uh, dispensing opticians um, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And I loved what Elaine said, that uh, we are the beating heart of the optical sector. And I think if um, we can um, increase awareness, increase our education, increase um, our um, you know regulatory um, in our um, countries uh, around the world, I think we will be a force to be reckoned with and um, we can only go onwards and upwards and I'm really excited to be um, part of it yeah. and that um, whoever wins the award, I think um, will be in a, a strong position to, to make those connections and to start to bring us together. Well, I think that's a wonderful uh, point to finish. We probably should finish. Uh, we've been uh, we've been going uh, for for a long time, but it's been incredibly, incredibly well humbling. I would say is the word to to be in all of your presence and hear all of your expertise. Uh, just very quickly, as I go around the uh, the virtual table, as I go around the world, uh, just do let our listeners know where they can find your website address, perhaps an email address. Angela, I'll come back to you on that. Uh, so um, I'm Angela at Oriwa Optics. Um, at- it's a Maori word, um, O-R-E-W-A, optics.co.nz. And I'd love to hear from you. Fennel. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, I can be reached at uh, my website, pure-optics.com. That's P-U-R-E-O-P-T-I-C-S.com, pure-optics.com. Thank you so much. And Carrie. Thank you, Nick. I can be found at Optigal, O-P-T-I-G-A-L, consulting.com. You can call me, email me, text me, whatever. I love hearing from everybody, so please reach out. I appreciate it. Vito. My brand is Maxi Vision. And uh, we mean we just sell us in uh, maxivision.com. The name Maxi Vision, Vision in Portuguese is Maxima Vision. And uh, your motto is uh, we look after you, which means that we will do everything to ensure that your quality or vision is not geopartisan. Uh, thank, uh, thanks a lot, Nick, and uh, everyone. It's been a pleasure. And let me just give you that spelling again. It's M-A-X-I-V-I-S-A-O, Maxi Vizal. Uh, you've all told me where you can be found. I, I can be found, um, well, at the bar at Silmo, usually. Uh, you're going to enjoy it there. There's uh, there's going to be lots of champagne. Uh, that's uh, that's one of the givens of Silmo. In, in, in all seriousness, I, I think you'll all very much enjoy Silmo, and I'm looking forward to meeting you all there. Um, you guys have been brilliant. Elaine, thank you uh, for your expertise, uh, and thank you to all of you, whether it's late night early morning where you are uh, middle of the day uh, i've really really enjoyed this and as i say the, the 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 humility that comes across as you talk and also the solidarity uh, just sitting here as the presenter and knitting you all together um it has been a, a real joy to listen to so don't forget the right optics by silmo there are loads of episodes uh, i think we're up to episode 17 or 18 now if you want to listen to previous episodes or be notified of future episodes uh, just follow the right optics by silmo on whatever podcast app you use spotify or apple uh, podcast from Silmo itself at the end of the month I will be doing a number of episodes meeting loads of people across the four days and I'm really looking forward to that so that's another good reason uh, to subscribe and follow and if you do get a moment to leave us a little review or, or click on the number of stars I'll give you a clue five uh, that would be much appreciated because it really helps uh, to get the word out there thank you again to all of you it's been wonderful to have you together uh, for now from me Nick Coffer and the Right Optics by Silmo it's goodbye